Welcome to Sportsbeat KC, the Kansas City Star's daily sports podcast. It's Friday, October 16th, and I'm Blair Kirkhoff. There's a new chief on the roster. Running back Le'Veon Bell has signed a one-year deal with the Super Bowl champs, and we're here to talk about it. Star columnist Sam Mellinger and Vahe Gregorian, along with beat writer Sam McDowell, joined me on Sportsbeat Live this morning to go over the Bell signing and other Chiefs news. Beat writer Herbie Teope couldn't join us Friday because of technical difficulties, but he, he was there in spirit. Later in the show, we turn back the clock to explain how our candy corn segment got its name. So let's get going, talking Chiefs. Hey, good morning, and welcome to Sports Beat Live, where the coverage team of the Chiefs, uh, Kansas City Stars Chiefs coverage team, brings you their thoughts on Chiefs, uh, the news developments, the next game, the previous game. And before I introduce the panel, I just want to say that, you know, a year ago when we were having these meetings on uh, weekday mornings, we would all have to drive from different parts of the metro area and, uh, and to arrive at a, at a tire store in a different part of the metro area every week. And we had less trouble getting together on those days than we do uh, meeting this way literally, on uh, Thursday or Friday morning. So that's, um, uh, that's where things stand. And that partially explains why we're not here altogether. Uh, Herbie Teope, the Chief Beat Rider, will hopefully, fingers crossed, will join us here in just a few minutes. But we have an outstanding group, outstanding. Starting with Sam McDowell. How you doing, Sam? You know, Blair, I don't think we all had to drive. I think there were about five times where you could just walk to the location. <laughs> that was true. Yeah, and I remember the one time it was near your house. You couldn't be there that day. So, <laughs> <laughs> Vahe Gregorian is here. Good morning, Vahe. Blair, good morning. Um, without Herbie here, I feel very conspicuous being the only non-Sam on that right panel. But... I do want it known that my grandfather on my father's side was Samuel. Uh, so there's that. There is that. Got that going for us. <laughs> Sam Mellinger, how you doing, Sam? I'm good. I'm good. And as it happens, there's a, uh, a Samuel downstairs um, trying to work through a first grade project right now. So if I get interrupted, hopefully it's not while we're talking about Le'Veon Bell. <laughs> that also didn't happen at the tire store last year. <laughs> That's <right. laughs> <laughs> but that's fine. Hey, we are going to get to Le'Veon Bell. That's the big news, of course, for, for the Chiefs. But before we do, let's start where we usually do and talk about the injuries that uh, one of the reasons that we're doing this on Friday and not on Thursday, our typical Thursday, is because we wanted to get an injury report. And the first one for the week came out yesterday afternoon. And it shows uh, three Chiefs that did not practice. And Sam McDowell, I'm going to turn to you on this. Uh, one of them, pretty obvious, Kalichi Assembly is just he's probably out for the season with the uh, with, with the knee injuries, uh, injured both of his knees on the first uh, series against um, against the Raiders last week. But the other one that I think is really significant is Sammy Watkins with the hamstring injury. And let, let's just talk quickly about what he means to the offense. And if he can't go, how that impacts the Chiefs. Yeah, I mean, I think Sammy Watkins is, has, has found his role in this offense to sort of being the underneath guy when we see defenses try to take away the overtop. Um, you know, he, he's 
been smart enough to, to pick his spots, to, to realize what's going to be open. He's sort of been that safety valve for Patrick Mahomes this year. Um, I'd be surprised if we saw Sammy Watkins play. We, we've seen him go through some hamstring injuries before. Usually it costs him two, three weeks. Um, Osimile is, is going to be out for the season. I mean, one of those injuries is bad enough to, to put him out for the season. Having both of them, I, you know, if that guy comes back and plays football again, it'll be a great comeback story. Um, but, then, you know, Hitchens missed practice because of an illness yesterday. We'll, we'll find out today shortly if, if he's back. And then obviously Anthony Sherman's out too because he's on the COVID list. So um, they, they've got a few things they're dealing with right now. And let's qualify. Hitchens is not on the COVID list. That was uh, you, you make uh, Andy Reid, who announces the injuries, make sure to uh, provide that qualifier. And I guess that's important these days, right? To to make sure that um, you know just just to define what the illness is or what or, or what it isn't. But getting back to Sammy Watkins, I mean, here's a guy who um, uh, has basically he's a number one or number two type receiver playing a number three receiver role for the chiefs. And uh, that just means others are going to have to step up. I think McCole Hardman is the the player we're looking at that needs to really rise to the occasion. And it, it's not like he's hasn't been asked to do this before, right? He, he, he was, you know, his status was elevated last year when Watkins missed a few games. Uh, and, and Tyree kill even missed a couple of games last year with injuries and Hardman, uh, was the you know was the guy, but but I, I don't know. I, I think Sammy Watkins is pretty important to what the Chiefs want to do with this offense, and he's just a um, he's just so, sort of been a, a blue collar sort of wide receiver for the Chiefs. He can get into the end zone and does get into the end zone, but he's not he doesn't have the Tyree Kill, McCole Hardman sort of uh, flash and speed. And you know Kelsey, of course, is the favorite target, but I, I think one of the things that helps put the Chiefs' offense over the top is Sammy Watkins and just his is just all around steadiness. I, I think um, I just think the Chiefs are going to miss that. You know, they've got a deep receiving core, Blair, but I don't think that those other guys that we're mentioning do what Sammy Watkins does. You know, McCall Hardman certainly is not a like-for-like replacement with Sammy Watkins, and neither is Demarcus Robinson. And those are the two guys that are going to get elevated snaps. So to your point, they're going to miss Sammy Watkins while he's out. You know, there's stats that – that show and, and and Sam mentioned this last week that they're significantly better when Sammy Watkins on the is on the field and that that's not a coincidence it's because of the role he plays within this offense. He, okay. he, does, he does things that like the other guys don't do right like I think he's their best downfield blocker um, you know in that group he's a really good route runner um, and you guys have been mentioned he, he he does the intermediate stuff the underneath stuff but he's also you you still have to respect him deep I mean he he's not. Tyreek, he's not McCall Hardman with speed, but, you know, we've seen him go deep. We, we've seen him, you know, on, on some go routes and that kind of thing. I mean, they're, um, you know, they're, they're going to have to change the, the plays that they call on, I was going to say Sunday on Monday, um, are going to be different without Sammy Watkins than they would be if, if he was playing. It's, I mean, it's not tragic, right? Like there's a lot of teams that would love to have these problems, but, um, but there are some things that, that the Chiefs will have to do differently. Yeah. Remember he was the, he had the 60-yard reception, right? It was the, AFC, the, the, the the finishing touch on the AFC Championship game yeah. last year. Or did, so. Yeah. What yeah, an interesting I, career. I, 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 go ahead, Sam. Well, like, I, I, just, I always think about him of just being like this bonafide, like no doubt about it star coming out of Clemson in, in, in the draft. And and he was he, – speed was like one of his many qualities. And it just didn't work out for him in Buffalo. He has this weird time in L.A. And now he's here and he's like this complimentary guy. 
um, to this, you know, fifth round receiver in Tyreek Hill and a third round tight end in Travis Kelsey. It's just, but he's like, he's gone from that star, like expected, you know, superstar receiver to this, you know, very complimentary, you know, kind of do the dirty work kind of guy. It's just a really interesting career he's had. It, it took him a couple of years to, to be comfortable with that role too here. I mean, it's not just the fact that it was other stops that didn't utilize him yeah. that way. They didn't use, utilize him that way his first year here. They still viewed him as the, this, you know, potential 4-4 guy that could beat you over the top before. I, like I said, I, I think really this year we've seen in the first month of the season he's found his role better than he ever has here. And one of those things with the complementary skills, I, just to sort of reiterate the points you guys are making, is that he, it's it's of the nature that makes those other guys better, right? Because he's so sort of solid at different aspects of the game that it just it just it opens everything else up in a different way. The other thing that's kind of interesting is he's kind of a and what they'll miss without him is right. He's one person who brings several things to the table that like Demarcus doesn't quite that McColl yeah. Hardman doesn't quite. He's not as fast as McColl. But he, he he brings that all together, and that that's the thing that that's part of the deal here too. You, you just don't have something that is is directly a replacement for it. Yeah, uh, Brian Johnson says Sammy runs such precise routes. I I, I agree. I mean, I, I that's and it is a lot of underneath stuff. And I don't I don't have his stats in front of me, but uh, you know he gets his share of third down receptions that become first downs. And and uh, I, I absolutely believe the Chiefs are gonna are gonna miss that. So, um, okay, let's let's get to it. Uh, news of the day happened yesterday. Uh, I, I didn't get the exact time, but the Chiefs actually ended up tweeting it out sometime in in the evening. Did they not? With uh, uh, the signing of Le'Veon Bell, it was um, you know a story that was building over the previous few days. It was gonna it came down to what the Bills, the Dolphins, and the Chiefs. And this is a this is a player that Brett Feach went out identified as a, you know, as a must get, and they got him. And let's just talk about first why um, why the Chiefs feel they need Le'Veon Bell. Um, Sam Ellinger, I know you wrote about it this morning. Let's start with you. What's the uh, what's the big need here for the Chiefs? Well, when they drafted Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, they planned on him pairing with Damian Williams, and they planned on this being sort of a, a dynamic backfield with those two guys working together. Damian Williams opts out. Um, <laughs> this should go without saying, but good for him. You know, God bless him for doing what he thinks is best for his family. But um, it leaves a hole in the backfield on the roster. And, um, you know, uh, Daryl Williams, I think, has had like four carries since the opener, something like that. Um, they don't trust Darwin Thompson. I, I think that's obvious. Uh, DeAndre Washington is a Maybe he can be something, but he's a practice squad guy that just got elevated. I mean, you know, they needed that role. Herbie, uh, you know, reported before the season the Chiefs wanted Adrian Peterson and, and were pursuing him. So I thought that it was a no-brainer for them to uh, to pursue this guy. He's versatile. He, he catches a lot of balls. Um, so he's a good fit that way. The, the one thing that I, that I sort of – he's not a perfect fit. You know, people say that like he catches passes, so he's a perfect fit, but he's not. That running style is super patient, um, you know, legendarily patient. Yeah. And I don't know how good of a fit that is behind this run blocking offensive line, um, but he's good in pass protection. Um, you know, he, he can he can make some plays. He can be, you know, I I worry that like his name and who he was in 2014. People are like, oh, the Chiefs got you know this incredible star running back. Well, I mean, he's averaged 3.3 yards per carry 
and you can say what you want about the Jets, and it's probably true, but he's not the same guy as he was five years ago. But he, he's a significant, perhaps massive upgrade as a number two running back. Uh, he makes that offense better. And I also think that um, – I'm sorry I'm talking too long, but he's, he's, he's a good runner. And they need good runners because uh, that run game is kind of clogging up. You know, again, like the pass game is doing fine compared to most teams, but they need that run game to be better to sort of unlock what they have in that pass game. And Le'Veon Bell can help with that. So what, um, go ahead, Vine. Oh, no, I just say, first of all, that the best tweet uh, I saw yesterday was Sam Mellinger urging people to read his column uh, before the news shifted because it was an ever ever moving uh, target, um, it got me to read it right away. <laughs> um, but that, you know, the only, I, I just uh, follow up on Sam's point that um, I, I think no matter what, he's a he's a, a proven presence, a veteran presence. But I do think Sam used the term the question in his column whether he's cooked, and I think it's a reasonable question, but weighed against the canvas of playing for the Jets, right? I mean. It's been between the year he sat out and then his first year with the Jets and this year, 2017, if I'm if I'm doing my math right, was the last time he was really playing regularly. And that year he was a four-yard a, a, a carry guy. So I, I don't know that people should be expecting that he's going to somehow revitalize an offense that's already scoring 32 points a game. I mean, I I think it's I think it's a good addition. Um, I think it's going to be really interesting to see how he fits in. Uh, but I don't think it's it's a reinvention of some sort. And and maybe there's a little too much fuss on social media about the addition. Yeah, to, to that point, and it's, uh, you know, I kind of dug into the numbers last night for a story I'm writing today, because I think that's the question is, what does Le'Veon Bell have left? And the advanced metrics really did not like this guy last year and don't like what he's done the first couple of weeks. And it takes into account the fact that you know, the Jets had the second worst offensive line in football last year, according to some of these metrics, at least when it comes to run blocking. They were marginally better this year. But there's some stats that still take that stuff into account and says what they expect you to get on any given play based on the average running back. And last year alone, he got 99 fewer yards last year than what they said the average running back would have gotten on the exact same carries. So um, you can blame a lot of stuff on the Jets and their offensive line and that culture and, and, and whatnot, but Le'Veon Bell played a big part in his numbers as well last year. So um, you're not getting the guy that, that, that the, the Steelers got in 14, 15, and 16. Yeah, or, or uh, to the point that you're making too, Sam, you're not getting the guy that the Steelers didn't want to pay. <laughs> right, yeah. I mean, he, he's, still, yeah. he's 28, you know, he's not 38. He's 28, but God, the Steelers used the dog at it. I mean, they, he, he had, uh, I think, I, I looked this up. It was in the column. I think like 27 and a half touches per game his last two seasons there. I mean, they were, they, they got their money's worth from him. Yeah, he led the NFL. I think he had over 400 touches in yeah. 2017. So you're, you're right. I mean, they used him everywhere. And, and you know, what's, what's funny is it, when you look at his skill set back then, it's the absolute perfect fit for what the Chiefs do now because he, yeah. he can line up in the slot. I mean, he the, the, when the Chiefs go five wide, that you could send him out wide. But, you know, back to what Vahe said, the question is, what does he still have left? And I, I think that there's some, there's some serious doubt about exactly what he's got left. Do you think a lot of the excitement is just because Chiefs fans uh, remember the 18 to 16 game pretty well and, and the uh, uh, how the Chiefs, um, I think, 
he must have been. I can't remember his number. Oh, he had pretty good numbers in the opener that year too. When they when they got crushed, it was not the same season when they got crushed at uh at Pittsburgh, like forty three. There was a game or two where he just murdered them. Uh, just and what's just, funny is to your point earlier, Sam. What I really remember the most is basically almost standing still at times in the backfield, like yeah. oh, there's the hole. Yeah. And then go. It's uncanny. Yeah, yeah, and, and you can do that behind that Steelers line that they had a few years ago, but not. I don't know that you're doing that behind these guys. Uh, what I remember is in the uh, in the playoffs after the 2016 season when the when the Steelers lost or the Chiefs lost to the Steelers, Bell had a monster game. Right, they didn't get in the end zone, kicked the six field goals, but Bell dominated the game, and. And then the Steelers and the Chiefs played in the regular season kind of early before the midseason the following year. And Bell had the exact same game. And I'm just thinking the Chiefs didn't get any better. I mean, the Chiefs aren't going to beat the Steelers this year either. Um, So I think he had 170 yards rushing in one game and 163 in another. Those are the fourth and fifth best rushing total games in his career were against the Chiefs, you know, in that playoff game and then that regular season game. So – I don't. I don't know. I, the Chiefs obviously feel like they, you know, it, the, the running game isn't coming along the way that they had hoped it would, especially after the first, you know, that Texans game where Clyde Edwards-Helaire had his 138 yards and things just looked, you know, fantastic. And uh, um, but this is also a team that look what they did last year when they went out and signed guys during the season and how well that worked out for the Chiefs. I just I kind of trust Brett Veach here uh, to know, know what he's doing and. Um, and, and, and Andy Reid to figure out a way to maximize the talents of Le'Veon Bell. Yeah, and, and not just that, but um, whatever he has left, the Chiefs are going to get the best of that. You know what I mean? Like this guy feels, and I would think justifiably, but people can disagree, you know, mistreated, misused, disrespected, you know, all these things from his time with the Jets and, and Adam Gase. He's made that clear. Um, so now if he comes here, and stinks, then Adam Gase was right. And what happened with the Jets is his reality going forward. But if he comes here and is a good teammate and makes plays and has a positive impact, that's a hell of a platform to be on, you know, the Super Bowl favorites and to be able to do that um, and then go get a, you know, somewhat big contract somewhere else. I mean, this is whatever he's got left, the Chiefs are going to get the best of it. And I think that's an important thing as well. You know, he could have gone to Buffalo and gone with, you know, they're, they're a winner, right? The Bills are a winner. They're a playoff team, have been two of the past three years and, and building towards something nice. The Dolphins seem to have a pretty nice future, you know, could, could have been part of that. But he did choose to come here. And, and I, I think the finances would have been the same everywhere, just, you know, some similar. We, we don't know that for sure, but uh, um, but he did choose to come to Kansas City. And I, I, I enjoyed the the little social media exchange between he and Chris Jones yesterday. Did you guys check that? I didn't see it. I just saw the first one that Chris Jones planted about 30 seconds after he got cut. Well, they they apparently share the same agent and, um, and and that was just, you know, come on Kansas city, just basically recruiting him a little bit. I thought it was interesting. How much do you think uh, lead recruiter Patrick Mahomes got involved despite his, uh, his, his, uh, no, not necessarily tell on the uh, on the call yesterday. <laughs> right, right. Well, we know he got involved with the with the with the, the most recent running back that the Chiefs acquired, right? Uh, the first round draft pick and Clyde Edwards-Alaire. I, 
do, do we think it's to the point where um, conversations happen between Patrick and and Brett Veach about a move like this? I would assume. I always assume that that stuff happens. Um, you know, I can tell you what didn't happen is that Andy Reid just didn't sit in his office and be like, ah, Brett will handle that. Like, <laughs> he'll let me know. <laughs> That's not <laughs> At all, well, <laughs> get that to you. Yeah. <laughs> all right, all right. Okay, uh, let's uh, let's talk a little bit about what happened last week before we move on to the Bills. Um, and let's let's look at both sides of the ball. Sam McDowell, you had a good story this morning about Patrick Mahomes, the offense, the passing game. What uh, uh, maybe ways to what kind of adjustments we might see in the production of the, of the passing game. And it's not a, it, it, you know, it's, it's look, the chiefs scored 32 points. They passed for over 300 yards. They, they put up some numbers, but, but this was a game last week where uh, and I, I think we all were saying it during the game. It reminded us of the 2018 chiefs where they had to outscore teams to win and uh, that that's the way that uh, Sunday's game against the Raiders unfolded and the Chiefs didn't weren't able to outscore the Raiders. So what uh, what did what did you discover this week, Sam, about uh, about Patrick Mahomes in the offense? You, Blair, you made a good point, I think, on I think it was the postgame call on Sunday that even though they scored 32 points, there were back to back drives in that second half where they did absolutely nothing that sort of flipped the game there in, in the Raiders favor permanently, as it turned out. And it was because Patrick Mahomes was sort of running for his life the entire second half. And um, so just just tried to get to the root of that. And it turns out everybody wants to take responsibility for it, at least partially. But when you go back and watch the game, everybody does have a hand in this. You know, the, the offensive line didn't play well. Um, they got three holding penalties, although looking back, the Mitchell Schwartz holding penalty was uh, a pretty egregious call. Um, but uh they also gave up three sacks. Um, and then there's plays where Patrick Mahomes just leaves the pocket before he needs to leave the pocket. There's times where he drops back too far. And to me, that shows a lack of confidence in his offensive line. And maybe you can say, well, he played behind these guys in the first half. He had a reason not to be super confident in his offensive line. But for the plays to work as called, he's got to stay in the pocket for as long as he can, or at least try and step up rather than completely bail on the play. But Patrick Mahomes is a wizard with the off-script plays, but they can't solely rely on that way to move the football all the time. Yeah, they were. This is something, um, Sam, that I think you, you saw live. I thought watching the game live, I thought Mahomes was pretty good in the pocket, that, that he was only breaking when he needed to. But watching again, that was dead wrong. Um, you know, you, you, you guys were right. I looked at um, pro football focus, and these things are subjective, right? But I think they had the Chiefs for 22 pressures, given up and they put 12 of them on the quarterback nine they put nine on Mahomes. oh nine okay but but what's interesting about that is no other quarterback in the league last week got more than five charged to him and only two guys were at, were at that it was russell wilson and justin herbert so that that puts in perspective nine is a really large number yeah and yeah. And, and patrick mahomes had only had 13 charged to him in the first four weeks and then he had nine in week five so maybe you look at that and say well it's good news. This this hasn't been a recurring theme this season because we did talk about this at one point last year. For sure. Um, but on the other hand, something prompted him prompted him to feel the need to do that in week five. I, I go back to the first the third third snap of the game, and Mahomes steps up in the pocket 
and throws the touchdown pass to Tyreek Hill. And I, I just wonder how differently the game would have unfolded and how yeah. Mahomes' game would have changed if that play had stood. I mean, that was that was an amazing play, an amazing play. Perfect. That ball, that was like seven, 65 yards in the air, right? On and a dime, yeah. Just exactly yeah. where it needed it. That was unbelievable. Yeah. So that play and – and some of the other stuff that went on in the first half that led to them having to settle for field goals. I know we talked about this a little bit after the game, but, you know, they lost fair and square. But I also think some things that that could go the other way just didn't. And it, it's one of the reasons I, you know, I'm, I'm less than uh, concerned about, you know, their future. Um, I do I do think that uh, the offensive line play, defensive line play was a, a, a point of concern. But. But I do think things could have just as easily gone the other way a little bit with a, a little twist of fate. And, and look, the, the bigger issue last weekend was the defense anyway. So let's let's spend a couple minutes talking about that. I, I find myself wondering, do I trust this defense now? And after seeing what I saw on Sunday and Derek Carr just and, and, and rugs and those guys just toast the Chiefs, it was kind of unnerving to see after what you – uh, had had noticed about this defense in the previous few games, so look, they're facing a you know an offense you know, that got shut down last week. Buffalo's at Tennessee, but man, Josh Allen is terrific. Stephon Diggs. I mean, they're this is a team that's moving the ball, scoring, and and having a lot of success. So, what um, uh, what what can we say about this defense that that um, you know given a performance that we had not seen. This season is this cause for alarm, Vahe? What do you think? Well, I, I, my first thought is a little bit. I do wonder if they got out schemed or, or, or just fooled a little bit. I, I, I haven't looked explicitly back at play by play or the, or the, or the video, but um, it seems to me that the Raiders sort of played a little rope a dope. They get they were able to set them up early with a little intermediate game and some and runs and then exploit the deep game in ways that the chiefs didn't seem prepared for one way or another, whether it was rug speed or uh, the, the patterns themselves or breakdowns in communication, the secondary, I think I believe that those are fixable things, but I also wonder how they got so exploited. And and that's, that's to me, unclear to me after, after this, I, 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 so your, your point is a very valid question, Blair. I, I, I don't know if that's a, uh, indication that they're they're vulnerable completely there yeah and that, when you talk about fixing things I, I one thing that has to happen they got to get a little more pressure on um on Allen than they did uh, on Derek Carr that uh th- that was just a you know I hadn't seen a more ineffective pass rush game by the Chiefs this year than in that game Chris Jones just couldn't get there and, and, uh, and Frank Clark couldn't get there either. So um, maybe that'll, uh, maybe that'll change. Although Allen hasn't, you know, he hasn't been sacked a lot this year, Um, but give Derek Carr with time was able to pick apart the chiefs last week. And that's just something you, you, we just don't see from Raiders teams and Derek Carr. And again, in, in Buffalo, a team that, uh, that had handled the Raiders in Vegas a couple of weeks ago, um, they, they step up in class a little bit this week. So that's, a, that's another issue though. Uh, Chiefs coming off a loss. Um, I, I think they have the full attention of, of coaches this week. We'll, we'll get to talk to coordinators later today, but, um, just in terms of, you know, 
letting a loss beat you twice, sort of that old sports cliche. From a, from a you know preparation standpoint, uh, don't you guys think that the, the Chiefs will be if they lose on Monday, it won't be because they let uh, there was some leftover you know belays uh, from from the Raiders game. I actually I think we're going to see <laughs> close to the best that the Chiefs have on Monday. Um, I, I, I really do. I think that this is a group that responds to certain moments. You know, um, the most obvious example of that is, is the Ravens game. And, you know, if you remember what the talk was before that game and the way that the players reacted <laughs> after the game, um, I, I think they're going to have some of that in this. I also think that, um, look, like <laughs> um, – I'm obviously not an NFL coach or whatever, but I, I think it's a good matchup for the Chiefs. Like, I think that the, the Bills have struggled getting pressure on the quarterback. Right. And I think that they're going to try to blitz, you know, to create some pressure. Um, we know what happens there. Tredavious White is fantastic, a hell of a player, um, but has also been dealing with a back injury. Um, I'm not sure what their injury report says, but he's I, – I don't. if he plays, it'll be with, you know, carrying a back injury. And I also think the defense has a lot of pride, and, and they're going to – they know what happened and they're going to try and fix that. Cause it, it's all, I think fixable stuff. Like that was scheme stuff. Like Traverius Ward does not need to be on an Island against Henry Ruggs. And, you know, Nelson Aguilar got Tyron Matthew to turn his hips the wrong way. And then he, and he, you know, he did the post instead of the, the corner. And, you know, there, there are little things like that that turn into big things like 70 yard touchdowns. But I, I see these things as, imminently fixable and the chiefs is sort of like the prideful, talented, ambitious group. That's going to get this thing fixed in a big way. You know, the, the, the unusual thing about Sunday was they got beat in their best spots. You know, the defense, the defensive line is one of the strengths of their defense yeah. and the defensive line got beat. Um, and I know that, you know, that that's not a good thing, but it's also probably a sign that like, like Sam said, it's, it's fixable because I mean, you still have Frank Clark and Chris Jones up front. Um, and then their secondary as well. I mean, their secondary has been great since about the middle part of last year. And a lot of it has been scheme. I mean, they've had rookies. They've had to rotate fresh bodies in there. And their secondary has still been sound. So just one game doesn't cause me a lot of alarm. But putting pressure on this quarterback is really important because Josh Allen does not like to take sacks. And he, he dislikes it so much that he makes some weird plays just to try and avoid sacks. I mean, he'll, he'll throw the ball up. We, we, we've seen twice this year he's tried to lateral the ball in a really weird spot just to avoid a sack. We saw him do that last year against the Texans in the playoffs as well. Um, this is a guy that it, it's really important to, to get some pressure on Josh Allen. He also pulls it down and runs. Um, he does. He, so he's got, he's got three rushing touchdowns, leads the, leads the Bills in touchdowns this year and, and over 100 yards rushing. Uh, Terrence Warno Robinson says uh, Chiefs can handle digs. He's not a speedster, but watch out for John Brown. Absolutely, John Brown, the old Pittsburgh State wide receiver, is 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 a weapon for for the Bills as well. Hey, it's Blair. We have a special subscription offer for Sportsbeat KC listeners: unlimited digital access to the Kansas City Star's award-winning sports coverage. Sign up now for one year of Sports Pass for access to all the sports news, features, and columns presented on the KansasCity.com site, and it's only $30. That's a 40% savings off our regular rate. Your subscription will automatically renew after the initial term at $50 unless you tell us to cancel. Your subscription helps support the sports coverage of KansasCity.com and the Kansas City Star, and that support has never been more important. 
please visit kansascity.com slash offer to get this special offer. And as always, thanks for listening. Okay, guys, let's um, – uh, we really are missing Herbie Teope today. He's having some technical difficulties and it uh, and can't be <laughs> – <laughs> can't, can't be can't be with us. We do miss you, Herbie. But through the wonders of technology, we will be able to. Herbie will be able to have a presence here today. Um, our producer Beth Welsh has something uh, uh, lined up, and, and we'll show that in just a second. But you know, listen, um, we're we're going to switch to a segment we call Candy Corn, and I get asked all the time, "Why do you call this Candy Corn?" It's has to do with, uh, you know, we just asked the guys a question about, uh, you know, that's non-football related. Uh, and uh, and, and we you know, try to discover a little bit more about uh, just about, you know, Vahe, Sam, Sam and, and Herbie and myself. And it kind of started a year ago. And uh, when we were on, on a Sports Beat Live, we were at a tire store. And the question was asked, um, what's your favorite Halloween candy? And Beth, if we're ready, this was the response. Candy corn. Can't go wrong. Oh, candy. my God. Oh, God. <laughs> what? Can we be my <laughs> Oh, that is so well done. That is so well done. <laughs> That's everything I hoped it would be. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. With that element of horror movie. Uh, <laughs> so kudos to Neil Nakahoto for putting that together for us. And I think we need to make that a weekly staple. This uh, show belongs on TV now. I mean, that was so well done. <laughs> Terrific. Um, so, so candy corn was the answer that day. Um, favorite Halloween candy that, uh, that that brought that kind of response. Um so the question today, we, we kind of I, I try to find a, a kind of a current topic for uh, to ask these guys, and it's uh, and sometimes the topics are sad. Like this week, the the passing of Joe Morgan, the great uh, Cincinnati Reds second baseman. Man, that guy was a great, great ball player, and it just a, a line of Hall of Fame players have passed away this year: Tom Seaver, Lou Brock, Bob Gibson, Al Kaline. It's just been a kind of a sad year for baseball in that way, but it also has allowed people to remember what they loved about the sport growing up. And some of these guys that I talked about were favorite ball players of people. I, I know, I know people my age that were just huge Tom Seaver fans. They're, they're all time favorite player. And, and Vahe, you spent as much time as you did in St. Louis. I mean, how big were Bob Gibson and Lou Brock to, to Cardinals fans in, in St. Louis? I mean, Absolutely. I mean, just, you know, icons forever, right? Right. So I asked the guys to think about their sort of their first uh, sports star, athlete star or hero and uh, go back to their youth. And uh, Vahe, since you're on the big screen and yours is the one there's a little bit of mystery about. Tell us who your first favorite athlete was. Okay, so I'm going to set it up real quick with the first name I ever knew was Willie Mays because we lived in the Bay Area and an uncle of mine took us to Candlestick Park for a game. I think I fell asleep, though I had no real impression. Um, then we moved to Texas, and what, impre- favorite- what impressive! <laughs> <laughs> he was okay. He was okay. I have high standards. Uh, then we moved to Texas, and the first college football game I ever went to was Longhorns. Uh, Hook him! Jim Bertelson was my guy, but that was just kind of fleeting. And by the time we moved to Philadelphia, there was this guy, Mike Schmidt. Um, he he was coming along. But really, the answer is 
Bobby Clark and the Ferocious Flyers. How about um, that? A good one. Yeah, he was. Uh, they were. They really captured the imagination. Remember, this was a time in Philadelphia where, like, the Sixers were nine and seventy-three. The Eagles were four and ten. The Phillies were losing ninety-five games. Uh, but then there were the Flyers. So Bobby Clark. He was back-to-back uh, Stanley Cup champions, right? 74-75. Uh, Brian Johnson weighs in. O.J. Simpson when he was with the Bills. Um, all right, Sam Ellinger. Uh, well, we know yours. Yeah. I mean, that's, Go on. Yeah, but let's let's remind everybody. Here it is. <laughs> um, yeah, when, when you said, like, we learned something new about us when, when we did the segment, I was like, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> O. Jackson was a superhero. Um, like an absolute superhero, like to play two sports, just like blew my mind. And I was at the perfect age. And, um, but I literally, like, I don't think this is like hyperbole. Like, I think that he, I was going to be a sports fan anyway, but I think he put that in overdrive because it was just the sense of wonder and the sense of like pushing boundaries of what's possible. I mean, it just, um, like literally this is so stupid. I'm, a grown man. I have kids in a mortgage, but I just got chills like talking about like what I thought of Bo Jackson uh, when I was a kid. Like literally, I just got chills going up my back. It's just unbelievable. First, how, last, and only favorite athlete for me. How, how did you reconcile his Raiders career? Um, yeah, it was fine. I mean, he ran over Brian Bosworth. Like I was, <laughs> was you're good with that. That was amazing. Yeah. All right, and look, these answers also reflect our generation as well, don't they? Um, yeah. Uh, so uh, you, you were that was right in your wheelhouse as a perfect kid. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I was like what eight years old or whatever, like in in eighty seven when he uh, when he first came up, and then you know he had eighty nine with the All Star game, the home run, and the stolen base with Ronald Reagan in the booth, and that was the same year I think that he he uh, uh, ran over Bosworth the the Monday night game. That was like one of the yeah. first things I can remember sneaking out of my room to like the guest room with, with that had the TV upstairs to watch that game. And I remember my dad like coming down and catching me and like not being that mad. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know it's just, it was, it was everything to me, man. Just absolutely everything. Dads understand. Yeah, exactly. All right. Sam McDowell, what do you got? Um, my, my first and only favorite athlete ever is Ozzie Smith. Um, I, I grew up playing baseball, grew up playing shortstop, couldn't hit much, but I was, I always thought at least that I was really good with the glove and man, that guy could do just unbelievable things on defense. So, you know, I went to spring training um, when I was probably like 11 and to see him take infield, there, there was all that conversation back in the nineties about seeing Sosa and McGuire. You had to get there and watch him take batting practice. For me, I, I had to get there and watch Ozzy take, take infield because it was just incredible to me um so he always been my favorite athlete i heck i still have a poster in my basement that's uh the the wizard i mean he, he still to this day has has sort of an impression on me he's still i think he was with the padres when he made that play where the, the ball yeah, the skips a different, yeah the ball skips another yeah. direction he catches the bear and that was amazing Amazing. You know, that was one of the very first videos I had as a kid was a This Week in Baseball video yeah. that um, I played on loop. And that he was interviewed on that, and he was talking about the fact that he, he'd heard people the next morning talk about it was the greatest play he'd ever seen, and he was, like, shocked by it. He just kind of shrugged it off. Like, <laughs> it was just I, a just, I just, ball, just a ball hit a rock. I put Yeah, ball hit a rock. <laughs> I put my hand up. What am I supposed to do? <laughs> this is, like, a random and kind of irrelevant thing about Ozzie Smith, though, too. Like, he played in a golf tournament here. Uh, like 10 years ago and however many years after he retired that was and he looked exactly the same like he looked like he could hit second 
you know, for the Cardinals, like in that moment, it was, it's unbelievable. David Van Zant, uh, Bo Jackson was Patrick. Like I, I, I kind of see that just, yeah. just doing things that you haven't seen anybody else do. Yeah. Um, Stephen Fisher, Derek Thomas growing up in Kansas city. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I get that for sure. Uh, Herbie, who can't be with us, let us know that his favorite interesting call, Fernando Valenzuela, the, the, the left-handed uh, pitcher for the Dodgers who I, I was, I, I was enamored with that guy in that, in that, spurt that he had of success in 81 which which was the strike shortened year that did the you know the, the two halves of a baseball season i remember fernando um basically getting the dodgers to the postseason and it was going to another dodgers yankees world series we'd already seen a couple of them royals fans certainly know all about that because the yankees had to beat the royals to get to the world series in 78 and, and, and uh, 77 and 78 and the yankees went through them but because of Fernando, the Dodgers ended up winning that World Series in '81, and he was just a phenomenon. Just uh, that he, this was he, he pitched at a time when uh, they had the center field camera, and his his balls were doing things that I hadn't seen a pitcher do. You know that that, that little that screwball thing screwball, he had. Yeah. yeah, it was going the other way. Away, you know, it was really bizarre. So good it's, call it, by. It's interesting that Herbie picked an athlete from when he was in his 30s. <laughs> uh, he doesn't mean it, Herbie. <laughs> well, in mine, uh, um, Sam McDowell, uh, he, he nailed it last night. Mine is and always has been Roberto Clemente. I was born in Pittsburgh, PA, and only lived there until I was six. But that was long enough to to understand what he was. And uh, it was in the in the 1960s. This was a time in Pittsburgh when the Pirates were more popular than the Steelers. So uh, the Pirates were winning throughout the 60s, and the Steelers were terrible. And, uh, and, and Roberto Clemente was just godlike to, to me and to a legion of fans when, when we were young. And I, had a, I certainly had a big Roberto Clemente poster up in my room. And uh, I couldn't hit like him, but I did try to wear number 21 when I could. And, um, and, and I always wanted to have a strong arm. That was it. Had to had to be able to throw the ball a deep a distance from whatever outfield position I played because that was Clemente's calling card was his uh, was his great arm. So good ones, you guys. Let's let's quickly go through a predicted score, winner and score um, uh, before we get out of here. So let's um, uh, let's start with you, Vahe. What do you think is going to happen on Monday at that the typical NFL kickoff time of Monday at four p.m. Central? I, look, I think I think the Chiefs are going to be uh, in, in the right frame of mind, um, and I, I think Chiefs at their best are pretty good. And I so I look at them to score thirty-two. Um, <laughs> actually, thirty-one. It's hard to get to thirty-two to get that average. I think, even though they had it last week, thirty-one to, to twenty Chiefs. Super Bowl score thirty-one to twenty. All right, Sam McDowell. I think the Chiefs will win, but but I do think it'll be close. Um, I'm going to say 28-24 sounds about right. Okay. Sam Ellinger? Yeah, I'm going to be extreme, and if this doesn't turn out, I'm going to look like a stupid homer. But um, I, I think it's going to be their best, I, I think, for a lot of reasons. I'm thinking like 38 to 17, something like that. That would be Ooh. a statement. That would be a statement, wouldn't it? I mean, for the, to the rest, of the rest of the NFL. And look, if they get by this one, Schedule kind of favorable the next few games, right? Broncos, Jets, Panthers. Yeah, sure. 
And then, and then this is the uh, my favorite game, Raiders off the bye. You don't think yes. like, <laughs> up for that? One. <laughs> well, off, off the bye, off the bye as the as the schedule currently stands. That's well, true. That's, yeah, that's, that's absolutely true. Um, absolutely true. So I'm going 31, 27 Chiefs. What a homer group that we are. I mean, look, the Chiefs are a three and a half point favorite in this game. I thought maybe somebody would take the Bills, um, uh, but nope. I think we're all kind of on the same mindset. We've seen this team, you know, respond to games like this. I don't think this is last year when the Chiefs followed their their first loss, which was against the Colts, with another loss to the Texans, both at Arrowhead. Mahomes was hurt. They were um, uh, Tyreek Hill was just coming back from an injury. It was a different Chiefs team. I, I agree with you guys. I think they I think they get things fixed for for Monday late afternoon uh, at uh, in, in Buffalo. So. Hey, listen, great talking to you guys. Thanks so much for all your questions and comments. We got a bunch of them. Brian Johnson says 35-24 Chiefs. I think that was the AFC title game score. Um, we will uh, we'll be coming at you after the Bills game, probably in between an hour and a half, hour and 45 minutes after the Monday game with the Bills. Please join us. Please join us then. And for Sam Vahe, Sam and Herbie T.O.P. and our producer Beth Welsh, so long. Good morning. Thanks for joining us, and we'll talk to you again soon. That'll do it for today and this week on Sportsbeat KC. Thanks to our production staff of Derek Donovan, Randy Mason, Beth Welsh, Jeff Rosen, Chris Fickett, and Savannah Smith. And a shout-out today to Neil Nakahoto for his contribution to today's show. Links to stories about the Chiefs can be found in the show notes and on KansasCity.com. Hey, we've got another deal for you, especially for those who want a deep dive into the Stars' terrific Chiefs coverage. For a limited time, you can subscribe to Sports Pass for 99 cents a month. That's right, 99 pennies a month. After three months, it'll automatically renew at $5.99 a month unless you cancel. How do you get that? You go to kansascity.com slash sportspass2020. That's kansascity.com slash sportspass2020. If you want more than sports coverage, and I do, Check out the entire Kansas City Star product. Sports news features, commentary, and analysis, the whole thing. You get all the stories written by my talented colleagues, plus additional news, sports, and business coverage with the e-edition. The details are at account.kansascity.com slash subscribe. That's account.kansascity.com slash subscribe. And if you're having any trouble hunting down these offers, send me an email at bkirkoff at kcstar.com, and we'll get you to the right place. Whether it's a sports pass or the full subscription, you're getting and supporting the best sports and news coverage in Kansas City and helping us produce programs like Sports BKC. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back on Monday with another episode.